Hope you're doing well this morning. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, and I'm glad that you are here to worship with us. Happy Mother's Day for all the moms and the grandmothers and ladies here. We're glad that you are here with us. I'm going to ask you before we uh, dive into God's Word this morning, let's just go to Him in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for making us. God, thank you for giving us life. And God, this is the day that you have made, and God, we rejoice and we are glad in it, Father. And God, we're so thankful for our moms, grandmothers, mother figures in our life, God, people you've brought in our life who are mom to some of us. And God, we're just so thankful that you have done that for us and you've brought those ladies in our life. God, I pray a special blessing on those who are in here today. God, some of them uh, are mothers, maybe it's their first year being a mom. God, maybe they've been moms for a long time. Some of us have lost grandmothers or moms, and God, I pray for those who may be mourning that today. I pray that you would just give them peace. And God, I pray today as we dive into your word that God, not just moms, not just those of us who are children, God, but that all of us who have an opportunity to have an impact on the next generation would be challenged and that our hearts would be pierced by your word. Holy Spirit, lead us and all wisdom and truth and understanding from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As uh, the dad of a daughter who is going to be turning eight just in a few weeks, um, I have had a very fast seven and a half, almost eight-year education on princesses. <laughs> and uh, I had a sister growing up, but you know, back in the 1970s and 80s, there were only three Disney princesses. I bet you can name them with me, okay? Uh, ready? Cinderella. Cinderella. Okay, all right, right out of the bat. Cinderella, Snow White, all right, and Sleeping Beauty. Okay, all right, y'all did pretty good. Okay, um, there were only three princesses growing up, but the last couple decades have given us a bunch of new princesses, right? I mean, you know, a few years ago, we had Ariel from The Little Mermaid and Belle from Beauty and the Beast, are you guys, like, really impressed here? I'm, I'm actually looking at it. It's on my notes. Anyway, uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Jasmine, one of my favorites from Aladdin. Pocahontas, the one I don't know anything about. And then Mulan, the other one I know nothing about. Anyway, and then Tiana from The Princess and the Frog, a new uh, princess that we have. And another new one. Who's the last one? All right, Rapunzel. <laughs> like, one of you knew that. Okay, you all need to get to movies. Anyway, Rapunzel from Tangled. And um, at our house, I don't know about yours, um, but we have boxes of dress-up stuff, and we have boxes of little princess stuff. And uh, it's breaking our heart as our little girl gets older, and those boxes kind of stay closed, you know? You want them to open it up, and you want them to play in it, and you want them to do that. And as they get older, they get into things like American Girl and Barbie, and, you know, I just want it all to end right now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I want it all to stop. One of, my, um, one of my favorite princess stories is the story of Snow White. And, you know, if you really think about Snow White, it's an extremely scary, terrifying story, isn't it? I mean, it really is terrifying. It's like we made this into a story for little girls. It's really kind of scary. But uh, the story of Snow White is a story of a princess. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell the whole thing. Um, she is the most beautiful princess in all of the land. But you know, it's interesting because the story of Snow White is as much about her stepmother, right, the queen, as it is about uh, Snow White. And it's about the queen, and the queen uh, uh, was the epitome of vanity. And what represents vanity so well? 
a mirror. And the queen has a mirror. And what does she say? Let's say it all together. Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And for years, the queen asks the mirror, I brought the mirror, this is Cynthia's, not mine, by the way, guys, okay? All right, anyway, I had this in the car this morning, and Sydney is like, Dad, what are you doing with a mirror in the truck? So anyway, I'm like, well, I got to use it for, for church this morning. But for years, the queen asks the magic mirror, who's the fairest of them all? And for years, the mirror answers in response, you are the fairest in all the land. And then one day, her stepdaughter grows up. And the mirror one day responds with an answer that the queen did not like. She answers, you are one of the fairest of them all, but there is one who is fairer than you. And the story of Snow White is about the queen who just in a terrifying way goes after and seeks out revenge in the death of her stepdaughter, Snow White. And, and really, you kind of come to the conclusion, why in the world did we ever make this into a, a kid's story? But mirror, mirror on the wall. The queen eventually is the one who dies. Her efforts to get revenge, seek revenge, end up being vain itself. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? There are a lot of things in our lives that are mirrors for us, aren't there? I mean, there are a lot of things that we like think about, that's a reflection of me. For some of you, it may be your job. <laughs> Man, my job is a reflection of who I am. The work that I do, I toil, I labor, and that's a reflection of who I am. For some of you, it might be your investments. Thank goodness for me, it's not my investments. But anyway, for some of you, it might be your investments. For some of you, it might be a hobby. It might be something that you do that's a reflection of who you are. You know, guys like golf. You know, I mean, it's a reflection of who I am. Thank goodness that's not for me, a reflection of who I am. There are many things that we can look at and think this is a reflection of me. Your homes, your cars, your hobbies, those things that you do, or they, they might be a reflection of you. I've used a mirror before as an example of the fact that really we ought to look to God's word as Christ followers, right, to see a reflection of us. And we ought to learn, instead of looking at the world, we ought to look at the Bible to find out who we should be and who we should become. But parents, I don't know about you, but the older my kids get, the older Sydney and Sean get, the more and more I look at those two little kids and I go, man, that right there is a reflection of me. And if you've seen Sydney, as my wife says, you know that she's an exact replication of me, just in the looks. And Sean is an exact replication of Cynthia in his looks. But you know, it's interesting because it's not just our looks. It's not just our DNA that we pass along to our children, is it? It's who we are that we pass along to them. It's our lifestyle. It's our values. It's how we live our lives. It's the lessons that we've learned that's been passed, that have been passed down to us, that we pass on to our children. And when we look at them, and they're all grown up, we look at them and go, that's a reflection of who I am. The good, the bad, oh man, the ugly, that's a reflection of who I am. I got thinking about that recently, and there's so much that we can teach our kids, isn't there? There's so much we can teach our kids. Some of you may be homeschool parents. You're teaching your kids all the time. 
We're teaching kids lessons in life. We're teaching them how to survive out there in the cold, cruel world. You know, we're teaching them lessons. We're always finding opportunities to teach them. If you're a Christ follower, you're taking God's word and you're teaching them lessons from God's word. But you know, it's interesting. The best way to teach a lesson to a child is to show them, isn't it? The best way to teach a lesson to a child is to show them what to do. But often we forget that as parents, as moms, as dads, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as older siblings, as people who are in a position to have influence with the next generation, we have a responsibility not just to teach lessons, but to show the next generation, to demonstrate with our lives how we should live I want to challenge each one of us to consider this morning. This is a Mother's Day message, but it's really meant for each of us to have an influence. And if we have an influence with kids, I want us to to be challenged to consider the type of legacy we leave. But be realistic about the fact that our legacy is really, really actually a piece of who we are. You see, just like an image in a mirror, our children will reflect exactly our movements. They'll reflect exactly who we are as people. Now this morning we're going to be taking a look at three different things from God's word that we can do, three different things that we can pass on to our kids that I think are important, pass on to the next generation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be there at the end of the message. It's one of my favorite passages about moms and grandmothers. But we're going to be talking this morning about leaving a legacy for the next generation. And I want to dive in right into your notes. You received notes when you came in this morning. And let's just dive in and, and, and seek God's word out on the legacy that we need to leave so that we, when we look at our kids, we have an accurate reflection of what God wants from those kids and from our lives. Let's dive right in this morning. Take a look at your notes. At the top of your notes, we have a statement here. The Bible speaks of three ingredients that should be evident in our lives to those around us and to the next generation. The Bible speaks of three key ingredients that should be evident in our lives to those around us and to the next generation. It's important that our legacy contains, and we're going to hit these three today, first of all, love. The first one is love. It's important that our legacy contains love. Now, the world has a lot to say about love, and most, if not all of it, is inaccurate. Most, if not all of it, is unscriptural. There's a ton that the Bible, uh, that the world has to say about love, but when we seek out the Bible, those are the lessons that we can pass on to our children, and the Bible tells us that we're supposed to pass those on. The book of Titus, largely, uh, the book of Titus is an exa- or is a, uh, a lesson on how the older generation is supposed to pass on those lessons to the younger generation, specifically the first few verses of chapter 2, speak to mothers And speak to women about passing on things to the next generation. Take a look with me at Titus 2, verse 4. It says, talking about women, moms, and grandmothers, Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Moms, grandmothers, aunts, even older sisters, it's your responsibility to train those who are younger than you to love. And if it's in the context of a family, to love children and your husband. 
It's your role to train. It's really interesting in this passage because Titus has used these first few verses and he's told ladies, he's told moms and grandmas and women that they are to teach the younger generation certain lessons. And then he switches and he uses this word train. Now teach is a direct thing. It's in the old Greek, in the original language, it literally meant to give instruction. It meant to teach a lesson, to define certain things for the next generation. But then all of a sudden, Titus switches and he uses this word train, which was also different in the original language. And what it meant was it meant to urge or encourage urge or encourage. And what it, the implication that we have there from the original language is that there was an implication of you need to show, you need to demonstrate to the younger generation how to love your husbands and your wives. My son, Sean, is um, in soccer and he had his last soccer game of the season. And I've been coaching his soccer team um, this year. This is the first year that I've coached his team. And um, <laughs> he said, you know, last year, um, Mr. Paul was the first coach, Daddy, and you were the second coach. And this year, he's like, Daddy, you're the first coach this year. It's been a lot of fun. And so I've had four- and five-year-olds soccer. That is seriously like herding cats, okay? It is almost impossible to get anything done with four- and five-year-olds and a soccer ball. It's just, um, it's just unbelievable. So, But we've tried, and we've had fun, I think. <laughs> They've had fun. But anyway, we've, uh, they're all brand new. My whole team is brand new to the game. They don't know the game, and they're little. They're little guys, and they're having fun out there and that sort of thing. But it's interesting because at the beginning of the season, I tried to, um, uh, I tried to tell my team that they needed to pass with the inside of their foot. You know, a, a kid sees a soccer ball, and the first thing they do is they just go up and kick it, and they kick it with their toe, which... I'm sure all of you know isn't the right way to kick a soccer ball. So I told them, I said, you need to kick with the inside of your foot. And I even had these little guys hold their foot up in the air and touch the inside of their foot where they're supposed to do it. And all of them went right up to that soccer ball after I told them how to do it. And you know what they did? They kicked it with their toe. Okay, I just had a great impression on these four and five-year-olds. And then I thought, you know what, I need to show them how to do it. I need to show them, I need to demonstrate. So I got a soccer ball and I kicked it with the inside of my foot a couple times and they stood up and they got a ball and they kicked it with the inside of their foot because they were able to copy me. They were able to watch what I did and actually do it themselves. That's what Titus wants us to do, parents, moms, grandmas, older sisters. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to demonstrate love. He wants us to show love to our children and to the next generation. And we who are older have a, a responsibility to show love. Now, I realize that some of you have walked in here today, and man, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do because maybe you're struggling, even in your own heart, with what does love mean, really? Maybe you come from a background that your parents didn't show you much love, that maybe who you grew up with didn't show you much love. Maybe even your husband and wife, they don't show you much love. But you know what? God has a ton to say about love. In fact, he devoted a whole chapter to it. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you may know and understand and have heard the chapter on love. If you're in here today and you're like, you know, I don't know that I even know how to demonstrate love because I'm not sure what love is in the first place. My challenge to you is to study 1 Corinthians 13 because it explains exactly what love is. 
In fact, this is a verse that I use in every wedding I do at the end of every wedding. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Take a look at it with me. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? Didn't you expect God to say faith? But it's love. It's love. If you're struggling with how to, showing how to love and demonstrating how to love because maybe you haven't been shown how to love yourself, go to 1 Corinthians 13. Ask God to give you a heart to learn what it means to love others. You know, Titus even implied in this passage we looked at just a second ago that loving is not an easy thing. In fact, the Greek word that he uses there, he uses two separate Greek words to describe loving your children and loving your husband. See, back in the Greek, there were several different words for the word love. And he used a word specifically to talk about loving your children. And that word was different than loving your husband. Back there in, in Titus 2 verse 4. Which implies to me and gives me the impression that it's not easy. And we need to be okay with that, don't we? We need to be okay with the fact that loving and demonstrating love and showing love is not easy. And that's why, as Cynthia sang, we need to rely on God to help us through that. We need to rely on him to show us that and, and to sense that from him and to be able to use that to pass that on to the next generation. How well are you reflecting love to your children, to those in your family? Do you have a sharp tongue? Do you lash out in anger? When you look at your sons and daughters when they get older, are they going to be a reflection of the kind of love that you want them to reflect? Maybe you need to be challenged today to really find out what God's love is all about and search out 1 Corinthians 13 and find what that means to love and be loved. But there's a second ingredient that should be evident in our lives if we want to reflect, if we want to properly reflect God's, a God-centered legacy, and it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Not just love, but wisdom. Wisdom is one of those things that just like love can be reflected and modeled. Look at Proverbs 1, 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Okay, right now, I'm not liking Proverbs 1.8. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Already for me, it's starting out bad because I don't know about you. I have trouble with both of those things. Listening and listening into my father's instructions. I'm 39 years old and you can ask my dad. I'm very hard-headed. I never, never wanted to listen to my dad's instructions. But you know what the Bible says? It says that I should. It says that I should have a listening ear to my father's instructions Take a look at the second one. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Hey, guys and children, let's, let's just put the moms on hold for a minute. Uh, those moms, those ladies in our lives, they have a tremendous amount of wisdom, don't they? I mean, my wife and my mom and my grandmother, those three ladies in my life who are so important to me, and my grandmother's passed away some years ago, but they, are, they were so wise. They have just tremendous amount of wisdom. And unlike men, women have the ability to impart that wisdom as life goes on. You see, we guys, we have to like stop everything and give the lesson. Some, for some reason, God has given you ladies the ability to impart wisdom as life goes on. And that's what the Bible says that we should be about and that we should be doing. That word forsake there literally means in the original language, it means abandoning. If you're a teenager or a kid, a child in here, and you kind of roll your eyes like I did when I was 16 when my mom would try to impart some wisdom upon me, 
That's one thing to roll your eyes. It's a whole other thing to forsake it, to abandon what your parents said. And so there may be some of you in here today who need to check yourselves and, and just realize that the way you treat your parents is probably the way that your kids are going to treat you. And the reflection that you have of your parents is probably the same reflection that your kids are eventually going to have of you. And so we can't forsake the teaching of our parents. We can't uh, not listen to the teaching of our fathers. Moms, look for ways, look for opportunities to convey wisdom that you have about living. Don't shy away from that God-given responsibility. But there's another part to wisdom. There's another part for parents and moms to impart wisdom, and it's this word inheritance. Now, I'm guessing that when I say that word inheritance, the first thing that you're thinking about is what? Money, absolutely. That's the first thing that our world teaches us to think about when we think of the word inheritance. But I want to challenge you today on that. Moms, dads, grandparents, it is not the most important thing for you to pass down a, a monetary inheritance to the next generation. You know what's more important? For you to pass down values Biblical values that God has given us. Take a look at Psalm 37, 18. The psalmist says, The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure how long? Forever. That's a long time, isn't it? Forever. That's a long time. You know, that inheritance that you've built up over generations or that maybe your family passed down uh, from generation to generation or maybe that you yourself have built up, or maybe you haven't built up, uh, that, that inheritance that you pass on will someday be gone. Just like many of our inheritances have been gone over the recession of the last five years, it will one day be gone. But you know what God says? He says that these values, the wisdom contained in this book, will last how long? Forever. Forever. Moms, dads, grandparents... The inheritance that the world tells us to pass on is fleeting. It'll be gone in a moment. It'll be gone in an instant. Be gone in a day. But this is wisdom and values that will be passed on forever. But you know what? Just like that reflection in a mirror, just like when we move in a mirror, our kids will pick up on the things that we do. I don't know about you, but um, Sydney, uh, at a very early age, became the best hypocrisy radar detector in the world. Aren't kids like the best hypocrisy radar detectors? Like, bing, 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 bing. Dad is doing something that he told me not to do. They just naturally have that ability. And I learned at a, a very young parenting age that, man, those kids pick that up very, very quickly. Our faith, our commitment to values and lifestyle has to be genuine. It cannot be fake. Our kids will point it out and they'll pick it out and they'll find it out and, and they'll let us know about it in an instant, won't they? My dad used to say kind of tongue-in-cheek, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Many of us probably adopt that parenting philosophy and boy, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, if we don't say it tongue-in-cheek, if we really live that way, it's a slippery slope. Do as I say, not as I do. It's full of hypocrisy. Look at what Proverbs 10, 9 says. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And I've just learned that our kids are the ones that find it out first. They're the ones that find it out first. They're the ones that realize it first. 
When we make a motion, when we make a movement in the mirror, there's a reflection. And so our kids do the same thing. They're going to do what we do. They're going to adopt the lifestyle that we adopt. They're going to do those things. They're going to take with them through the course of their life those lessons we teach them. But even more than that, they will take through the course of their life the way that we behave. And for some of you this morning, that may be a very piercing question, I realize. But some of you might want to check yourself and check how you're living. And ask God to search your heart and find a way, uh, uh, try to find a way to find out if there's a better way to live. Resist the temptation to not do the do as I say, not as I do approach to life. I struggle with this every day. I ask God to check myself on this every morning because it is such a huge temptation. So the first two ingredients in leaving a legacy are love and wisdom, but the last ingredient might be the one that's most important to carrying on what God wants us to, and it's this. It's faith. It's faith. Love and wisdom and faith. And I ask you at the beginning to turn to 2 Timothy 1, one of my favorite passages about moms in all of scripture. We learn from this passage that we're about ready to read in these first seven verses that Timothy, who was Paul's protege, you know, Paul was one of the uh, uh, heads of first heads of the church back in the first century after Jesus has died and been risen again, and he's come back to earth, and the Holy Spirit has come on the church and the church is beginning to grow, and Paul takes the message of the gospel into the nether regions of the world at that time, and he begins to train this man named Timothy. And we'll take a look at how close they were. Take a look at 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, and of course, they, he wasn't his father in the biological sense, but he was in the spiritual sense. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that you may be filled, so that I may be filled with joy. And here's the verse that I want you to capture in the context of what we're talking about today. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived, I want to come back to that word in a moment, in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flames, the gift that God has given you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The Apostle Paul, one of the church fathers, is saying to Timothy, you have your faith essentially because your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice passed that on to you. Now, Timothy made his faith his own, and there may be some of you who struggle with that, and that's a message for a different day about kind of adopting your parents' faith and just trusting it because your parents did, and that's a whole other message. But you know what? It is very evident that Lois and Eunice demonstrated to young Timothy their faith. They must have been pillars of faith. And so part of the responsibility of a godly mom and a godly dad and for those of us who are in positions to influence the next generation, is to pass that faith down. When I read this verse, I'm reminded of, of my grandmother, uh, Catherine Heisey Boyd, who died on uh, May the 12th, 2007. 
and my mom, Susan Elizabeth Boyd Cullen, and they absolutely lived this out. I mean, both of them did. And my dad passed along great advice to me, and he, he modeled a, a godly man, and he modeled how to work hard and how to sacrifice, and he modeled so many great things. But my grandmother and my mother modeled what real faith is like. You notice that in that passage that uh, uh, Paul says there, he says, uh, uh, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother and then on to your mother. It was a living faith. It wasn't something that they kept silent. Moms and dads and people of influence in the next generation, we can't keep our faith silent. We can't just let it be an internal thing. You know, that's between me and God. We got to pass that on to the next generation. We have a responsibility to pass that on to the next generation. My mom and my grandmother were my Lois and Eunice. And I bet some of you who are in here today and you have a strong faith, I bet you had someone just like that. Maybe it wasn't your mom. Maybe it wasn't your grandmother. Maybe it wasn't even a person that was in your family. But maybe it was someone who had that kind of influence. And here's the key. To my mom and my grandmother, and I'm sure to Lois and Eunice, it was a real faith. It was an alive faith. It was a living faith. It wasn't made up. It wasn't manipulated. It, it wasn't phony. It was real. And that was passed on to this man named Timothy who helped lead many, many to Christ. Love, wisdom, and faith. Let's make it personal. Look at the bottom of your notes this morning. What am I doing to create a Christ-honoring reflection for the next generation. What reflection do I see when I look at my kids? I don't know about you, parents. When I look at my kids, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly of me in my kids. What are you seeing in your kids? Now, moms, I realize you don't need another thing to do. <laughs> you moms are busy people, aren't you? You are the busiest of people. I heard, a, uh, or I saw, uh, heard about an old newspaper clipping. It was an old cartoon that showed a psychologist talking to his patient who happened to be a mom. He said this. He said, let's see. You've spent 50% of your, percent of your energy on your job, 50% of your energy on your husband, and 50% of your energy on your kids. I think I know what the problem is. You moms don't need another thing to do. But you know what, moms and dads? I think sometimes it's a good thing to pause and ask, who are we being for our kids? What kind of movements are we making? How are we living? And am I, am I reflecting what God wants me to reflect in my kids? Just like a mirror who reflects our movements, your sons and moms, especially your daughters, will reflect who you are now. And you know what? It's really an indication of what's going to be. Father God, I thank you so much for our moms on this Mother's Day 2012. And God, I pray for our mothers. God, I pray for those people who have influenced us. Yeah, there may be some that have been bad influences, but God, I pray and I thank you for those who have been good influences in our lives, who have modeled love and who have modeled wisdom and who have modeled faith. And God, I pray for those moms. I pray that you would support them, give them strength, God, they are so busy. They give their time away without even thinking about it. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength to make it through another day, another moment. God, I pray that you give them the strength to get up the next morning and continue to love and to impart wisdom and to demonstrate faith 
And God, I pray for those of us in here who have influence on the next generation. Father God, I pray that you would help us to check our lives, to help us realize that who we are and who we are being is more important than the things that we say to do. And God, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that we best reflect you and the values that you told us to. And God, I pray that when we look at our kids, we will see a reflection of all of the things that you say are good and holy and right. Help us to reflect what you want us to reflect in our children.